This is the Work Minus Podcast, where we talk about what we need to drop from how we work today and transformative ideas to help you build a better workplace. To hear all of our episodes and read articles about how you can improve your workplace, go to workminus.com. Well, welcome back to Work Minus. Today, our guest is Victor Antonio. He's a keynote sales and motivation speaker and author of many books, including Sales Ex Machina, and which is how artificial intelligence is changing the world of selling. This episode is Work Minus Selling. Hi, Victor. How are you? I'm doing good. Yourself? Doing excellent. I'm excited about this topic because we're talking about sales, but we're also not talking about sales as your uh, your episode <laughs> talks about. So this is going to be interesting. So why don't you start off just giving us a little bit of an intro about who you are? By the way, that sounded like a Seinfeld episode, right? It's a show about nothing, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a show about what it's not about. That's right. That much better said. Well said. Uh, Victor Antonio, background is, let me see, electrical engineering, MBA, started out in engineering, realized one day I didn't want to be an engineer anymore, decided to move into sales, love sales, love helping people sell. Uh, I've been a consultant slash sales trainer for the last 17 years, I believe, and I enjoy it, Matt. I enjoy it. So 17 years, you've seen a lot. We like to talk about the future of work, but mostly like the current of work, I guess, like what's going on right now. So tell us a little bit in your view, based on your experience, how has the selling profession changed in the last 17 years that you've been involved in it? Man, it changed huge. You know, I mean, it's it's hard to believe that, you know, back in the, and I'm going to date myself here a little bit, you know, when you look at 90, 93, 94, I mean, the internet was just beginning somewhere in that range, right? Right. Depending on where you want to put your starting point. And so back in the day, it was all about ABC, always be closing, pressure tactics, all these things to persuade and influence people to buy something. Fast forward today, we have an internet. And the internet now has expanded over the last 10 to 15 years where you can find almost anything you want online. I think Amazon is probably the best representation of how fast it's accelerated. Went from selling books to look at all the things from a logistical standpoint that it can do today. That is amazing. And the fact that buyers today, you consumers, because at the end of the day, even though we're salespeople, we're all consumers at the end of the day, we have options. And we have, you know, it's, it's ubiquitous. Everything's everywhere. And so selling has changed in the sense that what customers want today is to help for you to help them guide them through this, you know, this plethora, you know, of, of, of options that are out there. That's what they're looking for. So if you picked up, uh, we, let's say we cryogenically froze somebody from the a salesman from the 1980s, unfroze them in uh, 2019 <laughs> where we are now, would they be able to operate as a salesperson? I, I love this question already. That's just so well placed. So well placed. I love it. The, the answer is. Uh, probably depending on the market, it's, it's always a difficult question to answer because if, if, if it's a commodity sale, like a simple sale, no, hmm. they, they won't be able to sell. They probably won't even be needed anymore. If you know what I mean, if it's a transactional sale in a B2B complex sale, right? An enterprise level sale, I would say that they could probably still sell in that market if they had the expertise in the background and understood the customer's business. So they could still sell effectively. Because I believe some of the tools that are out there today really augment the salesperson's ability to sell more effectively. It doesn't replace them yet. You know, a lot of, you know, when I wrote my book, Sales Ex Machina, which is, you know, how AI is changing the world of selling, the question I often get is, Victor, will this replace salespeople? And it's the wrong question. The right question is, is look at the task a salesperson has to do. Mm-hmm. And then look at the task and then ask yourself, which of these tasks can be automated away? And, you know, to allow the salesperson to sell more effectively. So that's a roundabout answer to say in a simple sale, uh, the salesperson will be replaced in a more complex sale. Not yet. Yeah. There's still there's still some life in them. 
Yeah, and that's a good thing because we we talk about AI a lot on the show, and what you're saying is consistent with what everyone else says. Is that you know AI is is coming for your tasks, not necessarily coming for your jobs. It's coming to to replace some things that are relatively easy for a machine to do, but are are difficult. Uh, are at least time-consuming for us to do and, and can help augment us as we go through. Absolutely. But before we get too far, take me back to that 1980s guy. What are some of those enduring sales principles that are always going to be relevant? You know, when you look at the, and and it's funny because I've come, I've come full circle, you know, when people taught me the soft skills, I was like, ugh, soft skills, hate them, right? Mm-hmm. Teach me some real technical skills. Let me go in there. And then I've come back all the way around the soft skills again. By soft skills, I mean, the ability to be patient enough to listen to a customer, like really like empathetic listening. And I know everybody listening to this knows this already, but empathetic listening, I think, is the secret superpower that the best salespeople have. There is a patience and empathetic listening. That combination uh, allows you to pull the customer in closer. The second superpower is the ability to educate your customer. In other words, again, help them make buying decision. You know, they need to discern, should I buy this or should I buy that? You know, please, Mr. Salesperson, help me out. You know, that. so I think the ability to, I always say, empathy and education are the two superpowers you definitely had back then that you should carry over into today's market. Those are like tried and true. Yeah. And do you feel like, you know, we live in a world where content marketing has become so big, which we're trying to educate people even before they get to the salesperson. As, is sales still a big role in, in the education? What you're seeing, it's a very good, that's an excellent question. What you're seeing, and I'm going to refer back to a book called The Challenger Sale. The Challenger Sale came out, I think, in December 2011. Still a classic, still should be read. It's probably the second book that actually did an empirical analysis and study on the world of selling. The first one being, I think, Spin Selling back in 1987 by Neil Rackham. Mm -hmm. But this book, The Challenger Sale, which was done by Dixon, and I forgot the other person's name. I apologize. But it's a great book. And it really looked at data on how people buy today. And in their conclusion, they said a buyer today is 57% into the buying process before they reach out to a vendor. Hmm. Or they look at the other other, uh, number by Google was... They look at 10 sources of information before reaching out to a vendor's potential supplier. Said another way, that when the vendor contacts you, for example, they're already 57. Some put it as high as 80% into the buying cycle. So tie this back to content marketing. Yes, it's important. It's even more important than ever because people are going online first to look for the information, educate themselves to a point where they go, okay, now I'm ready to ask intelligent questions and then reach out to a vendor. And during that process of investigating and analyzing, their their preferences are being formed in terms of what they want. So let's say that I've done my research and then I call, you call me <clears throat> or I call you and I, I said, look, I've, I've researched your product. I think I like it. I have some questions. Now, if you tell me everything I already know, you're not positioning yourself as a quote unquote trusted advisor, an expert. Right. And I think that's where the big disconnect is. So what I also believe is that because people are looking for content online before they reach out to a company to talk to the salesperson, you're seeing this merging of sales and marketing now going glove in hand. Where before you also you almost saw them as two silos. Now I see them as two overlapping circles. And I believe that the future of sales and marketing will be under one umbrella. Call it uh, the sales operations guy or gal, right? Yeah. It'll be a new title because they'll have to know marketing. They'll have to know sales, but they'll also have to have the technology stack to be able to do both. And I think that's where it's going. Yeah. 
But I really like what you said about the patient enough to listen because that listening aspect, still, you're not with digital content marketing, you're not really listening. You, you may be getting some signals coming in, but not that deep empathy you talked about. So that's a core skill for sales for sure. Yeah, I think that's where, uh, and you've probably talked about this in past podcasts, but that's where machine learning comes in, the AI. Because in my book, I cover how you know a lot of companies are using now machine learning, more specifically natural language programming, mm -hmm. to actually read text, read emails, and detect the sentiment called sentiment analysis. Do a sentiment analysis to say, yeah, I think this person's in, this person's not in, yeah. or let's you know follow up. And I think all that again is to augment the salesperson's ability to make better decisions when selling. Yeah, well, let's jump into your book. You don't see a lot of AI books around the topic combined with sales. So why is that? Why are, why are people a little bit afraid to, to talk about that topic? I don't think they're afraid. I think, I think my book, I could be wrong, but I believe my book is the first book to talk about sales and artificial intelligence combined and how it's going to change the world of selling. So I think it's the first book out. And I think I was very lucky. And that is, I was, you know, let me just step back and I think you'll find this story and your listeners will find it interesting. And that is, I was doing a sales training course, three-day program for a large healthcare company. And they have their own call centers. And I'll make the story brief. They have a call center. They got 100 people. 100 people have to make 100 calls. That's 10,000 calls. Let's simplify it. Let's just look at one person. One person makes 100 calls. I'm calling you. You know, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, hey, I'm trying to sell you some type of product. At the end of the day, I closed 20 of those deals, right? By, by close, I mean, if I'm an SDR, BDR, I, I, I close it in the sense that I get the order or I advance the sale and I get the meeting, which is what I wanted. And so the question is now, what do I do with the other 80 that I didn't close mm -hmm. or advance? Now you ask the actual, you know, the sales rep, they'll say, well, you know, Victor, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, I got a good feeling about these right here, but not about those. Well, with machine learning today, what this company was able to do is they would take our conversation, split the track, right? Now, they'll look at your track. You're the consumer. And what they'll do is look at keywords that you use, phrases, velocity, uh, what words you repeated. Uh, and what they'll do is come up with this keyword cloud type of analysis that will tell them this person's worth calling back. There's an intent to buy there or there's not. And so what it would do, it'll take those 80 calls that you didn't close it will sift out the ones that are wait, you know, not worth your time. Let's say 20 were not worth your time. Mm -hmm. That leaves 60. It will then prioritize those 60 for you in terms of intent to buy. Hmm. That's powerful. Yeah. See, that that right there, when I heard that they were doing that, I'm like, oh, my God, we're being transformed. And that's what really initiated the writing of the book. Well, well tell us some other stories you discovered from the book. What are some other companies that are using AI in really interesting ways on the sales side? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll step back and say, first of all, we, let's, let's shift our mindset. Uh, the book Sales Ex Machina, uh, I stole it from a phrase called Deus Ex Machina. Deus Ex Machina means literally God is in the machine. And back in the day, way back, when people couldn't understand technology, they would say, well, the reason it works like that is because there's God in the machine, right? That's Deus, God, Ex Machina in the machine. And I took that because that phrase, because I've always had it in my head, but when I realized that the CRM, the customer relationship management systems like Salesforce.com or some of the others, yep. that is now becoming like the hub. It's, it's almost like, think of it as like a giant smartphone, right? Where all the transactions are being done through there, all the interactions are being done through there. So the sales in the machine is really a way of saying that your sales are in your CRM. Now, what do I mean by that? Because let's say, and I'll just use Salesforce. 
uh, they should pay me for as much advertisement <laughs> as I give them. You know what I mean? We'll, we'll reach out and ask for it. We can split it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. So they have a system called Einstein, which is an AI tool. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a toolbox, really. And what happens now is that if I'm making a call out, I call through my CRM, right? So let's say I make a call to you. Well, the CRM now records the call, but also records the whole conversation. It will then take the whole conversation, translate it into natural language processing. In other words, make audio words. It will then analyze the text, right, and, and score that conversation. Now, let's say I then follow up and send you an email, and then you responded. It'll take my email to you and your response back to me, whatever you said. It will score that also. Let's say I sent you some text messaging in the meantime. It'll take that as well. So it takes all this data now, and it comes back with the scoring. Here's how likely they are to actually sell something or buy from you. That's powerful. So the big mind shift is that the CRM used to be almost like Big Brother, like mm -hmm. 1984 George Orwell stuff, right? Managers just want to monitor us. That's the only reason they have a CRM. Well, we have that's old school thinking, right? That's back in the 80s thinking. New school thinking is this CRM is going to help me sell more effectively. It's almost going to make me like a cyborg. Hmm. It's going to help me sell more effectively. So I think that's the big shift. That's the giant shift in mindset. Now, once you understand that, then it's what tools do I apply in the CRM? Okay. So let's talk to somebody who's just starting off their sales career, mm -hmm. fresh out of college, doesn't really know uh, much about you know what they're going to do. Where do they need to start to educate themselves, to, to spend time? Do they need to spend more time on the technology side to, to speed up with all these things? Or do they need to double down on all these soft skills? I think double down. See, again, you, you, great question. And a couple of years ago, I would have said, yeah, get the technology down. Now I'm like, go back to the soft skills. Here's why. The and, I, and I'll use myself as an example. One of the things I, I don't, have you ever heard of Toastmasters? Yeah, of course. Okay, so Toastmasters was transformational for me. Now, if you don't know what Toastmasters is, look up toastmasters.org. It is a speaking organization where you learn how to do public speaking. It's in every neighborhood. So if you're listening to this, trust me, there's one in your area. And they give you 10 different speeches and you create 10 different speeches over time. And then you do the speeches. People give you feedback. They criticize you. And by the time you get to number 10, hopefully you're going to be a beast, right? And so that skill, the presentation skill has paid off so much. That's been my highest ROI. If you wake me out of a dead sleep, it says, what's your biggest ROI? I say, my, my ability to speak. Hmm. And, and so that, and most people say that's a soft skill, but that's a great soft skill. So I think learning that skill, and again, go back to the empathetic listening and the educate. Imagine the fact, imagine, let's walk through it. If I'm able to understand where my customer's coming from, I really understand because I'm listening. I get you, man. I get you. And then I said, now I can educate you. Here's what we do. Here's how it's going to help you. Here's how it fits. Now, I wrap that with presentation skills, and I know how to deliver that education piece. Then that's the one-two punch. If I can listen and deliver and articulate a message effectively, I'm a dangerous salesperson. Yeah. You know, too often, you know, and I'm not going to pick on millennials because they get picked on too much, but, you know, people who spend too much time behind a computer – you know, to some extent, that's a good way of working if you can make the business model work. But eventually, you got to go out there and talk to somebody. And the ability to have good listening skills and being able to present, I think it's something that will never go away in terms of value that you need to have. Yeah. All right. So we've probably been talking all around it, but we've titled it Work Minus Selling. What do you mean by that? To me, Work Minus Selling. When I first saw that title, I'm just going to give you my gut reaction when I first, I said Work 
minus something, right? Work mm-hmm. minus something. And the thing is, if you know how to sell, you have to work less. That's what I took away from it. <laughs> if you know how to sell, you could work less because I believe sales is a great profession. It's a fat, I mean, the amount of money you can make in sales is incredible if you, if you find the right product or service to sell and you have a great compensation program. Now, I know when I say the word money, everybody just kind of go, oh, there's a little cringe factor. He said money's important. <laughs> Damn right it is. Money is important. And people always say, well, Victor, money doesn't buy you happiness. To which I say, you are absolutely right. Money does not buy you happiness. Let me tell you what money does buy you. Money buys you options. Because, you know, when you have money, you have options. You can send your kid to a private school, public school. You can take a vacation or not take a vacation. So money buys you options. And I say this because, you know, too often what we hear on social media, and tell me if I'm wrong, is that you see all these people like taking pictures of themselves on a boat, on a cruise, you Mm -hmm. know, some exotic place in front of a Lamborghini or something or whatever they're doing, right? They're doing all kinds of crazy things. And we believe that it's all about the work, which you got to put in the work. I'm not, I'm not dismissing that. But one of the things I like about selling is that once you become good at it, you become very effective. It's almost like you become very, it's no scattergun approach. It's almost like a sharpshooter, right? You know how to target in, you know how to focus, and you know how to cut to the chase faster and you know how to qualify faster. And so if you can sell today effectively in the market, not only will you have to work less, you'll also be able to sell more effectively in the market. So I don't know if I answered your question, but that's how I perceive that because I want to work less, man. <laughs> so you work less by selling. Yeah, yeah. you work by, by being smart in how you sell and how you approach the game of selling. And that's, by the way, and that's in everybody's career. You don't have to be like, if you're listening to this, it goes, well, I'm not in sales. Yes, you are. We're all in sales. You know, if you're a manager you have to go to your boss and ask for more budget, for more money, for more headcount. You're selling. You're selling. And if you want to make your life easier, you want to have less work, you want to be able to sell more effectively. So we're always selling something. So as we've kind of we've said, okay, the sales profession, we can boil it down to these enduring skills of being patient enough to listen, educating the people you're trying to work with. Take that out of the sales context and put it into to marketing, to customer service, to HR. How do people outside the sales department, what can they learn from people in sales? What can they learn from people in sales? Look, so so again, I believe even if you're marketing, you're in sales, what can you learn from sales? We know that today customers want, you know, we always hear, right? Quality, service, price. We all know that already. But if you dig deeper and you ask yourself, if you're a marketing person, here's what you have to learn. As a salesperson, one of the things I do is I try to make it as easy as possible for customers to say yes. Let me just say that slowly. I try to make it as easy as possible for my potential customers to say yes. My job is to minimize anxiety or uncertainty and increase their certainty, right? Increase certainty, reduce anxiety, as I always say. Uh, that's, That's my job. When I'm selling, I'm always increasing certainty, reducing anxiety. When you're in marketing, you have to do the same thing. In order to move anything forward, and people are going to resist whatever you try to push towards them, your job is to reduce that anxiety and increase their certainty. There's a, there's a, that's a beautiful equation, a little balance there. Because if you can do both of those things, people will move forward. Now, if there's an equal amount of anxiety and uncertain or certainty, the customer won't make a decision. Nobody will move forward. So our job is to increase one while reducing the other. So I think marketing can learn that from salespeople. All right. What about HR? How do you apply it there? 
HR. So HR is hiring the right people, right? That's what they got to do. Now, remember, HR has boss or bosses, right? HR is recruiting for a certain department, right? So in order to recruit for a certain department, in order for them to be successful, let's say that the HR person reports to that one of the people they serve is, let's say, the technology sector, the VP of a CTO, for example, right? Okay. Let's say that the HR is recruiting for the CTO. The CTO says, find me the right people. The HR's per- jobs, the HR person's job is to find the right people that the CTO will want. And her job or his job is to find the right people and present them to the CTO. And by doing so, she is selling them, hey, look, here's what I found. These candidates are worth interviewing. CTO says, why? That At that moment, she has to increase their certainty and reduce their anxiety as to why they should even meet or interview this one candidate. So it's everywhere. It's all about certainty and anxiety. Did that help? Yeah, absolutely. I'm resonating with that a lot. I love that you've boiled down to these very simple things to, to think through and to get through. I want to come back to an idea you presented about when you talk about people who are maybe a little bit younger and tend to, let's just say, to hide behind computers, hide behind their work there. Sure. You know, sales, you have that thing, okay, pick up the phone, call somebody, call a client, go visit somebody face-to-face. In other disciplines too, do you see the same thing that's that's happening, that people tend to hide behind the technology and they need to get out of it? Well, I remember the... Uh... When the rise of social media really isn't that old. And I remember during the rise of social media, let's, I'm going to just say, I'm a peg of the year, say like seven, 10 years ago, somewhere in there, it really started taking off. I remember a lot of people saying, you know, you know, cold calling is dead. Picking up the phone is dead. Social media is the way to go. And so I was like, no, it isn't. You still have to connect with people. Do you know what I mean? You can only hide behind a computer so much. And I think it's easier to be behind a computer and get rejected than it is to be face-to-face with somebody and get rejected. That's why people send out emails instead of calling. That's why they text instead of calling. And I find that interesting because in the, at the end of the day, we, we don't like rejection. We all hate it. I mean, that's just part of natural, you know, our natural being. We don't like to be rejected. But, it, but in order to be effective to sell today, unless you're selling some, some type, again, if you're selling a SaaS product and it's online, it's all subscription, this is not for you. But I'm saying if there's an opportunity to either send an email or pick up the phone, I'm telling you right now, I will pick up the phone. Yeah. There's something about that human connection that you'll never get rid of. Yeah. And absolutely. I think avoiding that uh, makes you more of a coward, if I can put it that way. But the sad thing is you'll never learn. For example, if I reject, it's, it's easier for me to reject your offer if you just sent me an email. I can just say, you know what? Not interested. But if I pick up the phone and now I got to tell you that, we got to talk on the phone, now I probably have to explain why I'm rejecting it. Yeah. And by explaining it, I, the salesperson, even if I get rejected, their explanation to me is a new data point that I now have for future transactions. In other words, if they said, this is the reason we're not buying, well, then I know that in the next sale, I have to be able to kind of compensate for that. And I become better because of my human trend, uh, interactions. Yeah. No, that, that's really powerful. Last question. Um, you're leading a, a team of young salespeople. You got a team beneath you. You're trying to do your best with them. They're interacting with all these new technologies, new ideas that are going through. What's one piece of advice you would give to somebody who's managing a, a decent sized, large sales force out there? You know, I have a podcast called the AI and Sales Podcast. It's Artificial Intelligence and Sales Podcast. And I was interviewing, I think his name is, uh, the CEO's name is Oleg Roginsky. And the company's called people.ai. 
and they use AI technology. And we were talking and he just stunned me. He just like, I mean, just gut punched me with this uh, piece of data. We were talking about, you know, what is the profile of a successful versus non-successful salesperson? And then he said the following, he said, Victor, we can tell, because I was telling him my back in the day, if we're going to compare back in the day versus today, we would always do back in the day, a 90 day program, right? 90 days. And we'll, at the end of 90 days, we'll know whether this person can make it or not. He was like, I don't need 90 days. He says, based on our algorithm, machine learning algorithm that we use, we can tell within 17 days, 17, whether that person's going to make it or not. Hmm, wow. And that stunned me because he said it with, with so much certainty. I go, well, how sure are you? He goes, very sure. We're talking like, I don't know, like 99% better, some crazy number like that. Um, and I was like, well, what is it? What are they doing? He said, what have you observed that successful uh, salespeople do versus non-successful salespeople? And then this answer really stunned me because I thought he was going to say, Victor, these people learn their product. They know their product, you know, and go down that route. He says, no. He says, what we noticed is that there's two types of people that will come into the company and there are people who come into the company and just study first, study the product, learn the technology, get comfortable, and then they go out and start selling, right? Something to that effect. He said, the high performers start right out of the gate calling, even though they don't know everything, mm -hmm. they, they're calling. And he's, he, and I think he theorized, and I don't want to put words in his mouth. I have to go back and listen to the interview, but I think he theorized is that, or maybe we just came to that conclusion is that the people who started calling early, right out of the gate, first of all, they don't know what they don't know, which is good. Right. Right. Uh, and I'm sure some sales were lost because they didn't know certain things. But interesting enough is that in those first 17 days, if I can use that mark, they formed habits of calling getting on, making whatever, 50, 100 calls a day, whatever it may be, they formed these habits that were based on activity. He said, now, when you look at the other group, they didn't have any activity habits that were duplicatable. In other words, they did not form the right habits. They knew the technology. They knew the products. They can tell you everything that you need to know about what they were selling, but they had not developed the habits to actually drive their business. You know, I have this thing where I talk about ABC. And I don't mean always be closing. I mean, your attitude will drive your behavior, which will drive your consequence. Said another way, your attitude will drive your activity. Hmm. Your activity will drive your achievements, right? Yeah. So attitude, activity, achievement. Well, these guys jumped right into the activity with the right attitude. And once they got a little bit of success, they figured out what worked and what didn't work right away. Now, I think group two, if we were to do this in a scientific experiment, group two learned a lot. They had the right attitude, but they weren't doing the right activities because nobody taught them the right activities. Wow. I find that fascinating. Yeah, it, it's it's unbelievable. 17 days. It makes sense, though, though, when you say it, like the people who are actually getting out there, getting involved, building those practices, succeed and, and do the best. That's great. It's almost like that, you know, you know, that, that, you know, that whole that saying into the breach, right? You know, you just go for it. And that's kind of what they were doing. They were going for it. I'm sure they had some knowledge of what they were selling, but they just went for it. They realized that, you know, it was first best to get your activities down, form those right behaviors. Eventually, that'll drive your achievement where the other people who learned a lot, maybe learned so much so that they became hesitant. You know how when you learn something and you learn about the competition, you maybe start doubting that you do have the best product. Yeah. Where in the, in the first group, they just went out. They didn't care. They just said, you know what? 
Law of averages. Let's keep calling. Let's find somebody who'll buy because always you always find somebody who'll buy. Yeah. But but that number seventeen just sticks in my head, like haunts me. Wow, that's amazing. Well, well, Victor, I've learned a lot from this session. I, I love the the ideas about the salesman always being that empathetic listener. The minimizing anxiety, increasing certainty are, are big takeaways from me. I want you to leave uh, us with some ways to get in touch with you if people want to stay on track with what you're doing. Uh, if you go to victorantonio.com, you'll find me. Uh, if you want to listen just to my Sales and Influence podcast, it's called Sales Influence Podcast, or just go on YouTube. Just type in Victor Antonio. You will find me. <laughs> you are there. And very entertaining videos. Everyone should check them out. <laughs> Well, Victor, thanks so much for being on the show. We appreciate your insights. Uh, Everything you've shared is, is great, and we hope to have you on again later soon. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. This has been the Work Minus Podcast. If you like what we're doing, go to workminus.com, where you can see the show notes and a full transcript for every episode. You can also sign up for our newsletter, where you'll get the latest progressive ideas about how you can build a better workplace. 